0: You are listening to Movies Cinema Film, and this is our review of the Peter Farrelly film Green Book. Hi, Jordan. Hey, hey. Jordan's eating. I'll so stop y- eating
1: pizza. <laughs> I thought Leah was going to do a longer intro because she does longer intros sometimes. Wow, I'm all over the place. It's fine. Um, guys, I have so many nutrients in my body right now Yeah. for this amazing film. That we're about to talk about. Yay. Or the amazing films that we're about to talk about. Many films.
0: So, we uh, have stand up here tonight at Rhino Comedy, which is really exciting. We have it twice a month.
1: And then we also have. Well, probably not tonight, whenever this gets oh.
0: released. <laughs> tonight in,
1: in, in, real life, in this world.
0: <laughs> we, tonight, today is what? Wait, what's today? November 24th. We have Friendsgiving tomorrow. Yay. I have to go home and cook after this. Same. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited for our Friendsgiving, actually, because I love everybody involved with Rhino, so it's going to be really fun. Anyway, we won't bore you with our fabulous lives much longer. We'll just talk about movies.
1: Yay. We all love movies.
0: So, as you guys know, if you've listened before, before we get into our talk about Green Book, we like to discuss... Other movies that have some kind of relation to this movie so this time we decided to do a road movie and a civil rights era or civil rights in general related movie since this film is both of those things so Jordan would you like to go first with your choice of road movie
1: um sure yay I am going to go with Ooh, all right. I didn't have it picked ahead of time. (laughs) Uh, I just kind of Googled road movies. Because, like, I've seen so many movies. I can't just recall a movie out of thin air for a category. But we actually have one of my faves on this list that came up when I went into Google. So I'm going to go with Sideways. Great. Love Sideways. Because that is a road movie, according to this thing that I just... <clears throat> did and it really is a road movie because they do go through wine country and stop along a lot of different places. I'd say this is Paul Giamatti's best role.
0: Ooh, perhaps. that's tough though. He's so great in everything, man.
1: Big fat liar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, that's what I was thinking of. Not his many other, est- uh, you know, absolutely brilliant performances, but I was thinking of big fat liar, of course.
1: Um, all
0: movies starring Amanda Bynes are flawless. That's all you need to know.
1: Yes. We are looking to get Amanda Bynes on the show later.
0: Amanda Bynes came into Urban Outfitters at the Garden State Plaza when I worked there, and it was at the height of her platinum blonde wig days. Wow. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting thing. I'm not going to talk about it because I think she was struggling with some issues, and I don't want it to seem like I'm making fun of her, so I'm totally not. But it was definitely one of the craziest things ever because I was a huge fan of hers when I was younger. Like, I loved were you too?
1: I I was gonna say real talk. Like Amanda Bynes is one of the comedy icons <laughs> for people our age. She's so talented. Like, you can't say that the Amanda show didn't influence generation our generation of like comedy.
0: No, I still quote it all the time. Me and my friend Gina. Hey, Gina. I know you're listening to this. We still quote the manager all the time and like text each other links of skits and stuff. And come on, she was like 12 and she had her own fucking show.
1: Yeah, it, it's absurd. <laughs> it's absurd that she just like obviously she fell off for reasons um, and struggles, but she is one of the most influential sketch comedians of our lifetime. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I really hope she comes back to comedy because she was also so great in what's the what's the she's the man.
1: She's the man. Classic retelling of the Shakespeare story. <laughs> I don't know Shakespeare well enough to talk about which story it was. It was
0: Twelfth Night. Yes, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Maria just directed Twelfth Night. Anyway, so...
1: I love Sideways. It's fantastic. It's one of my favorite films of all time.
0: Alexander Payne is an, a director I will always like. rush out to the theater to see his movies the first day.
1: Yes, Honestly, well, I didn't see Downsizing.
0: Mm, that one, that's fine. It, <laughs> that
1: it, was the one film that you shouldn't rush out to see. Alexander Payne.
0: It's the one film in his filmography I've seen every single one of his movies multiple times. My favorite is Election, but I really love yes, all of them. Election is great. Uh huh. I I really love all of them, and Downsizing. It, it was completely. I don't know, I, this is not a downsizing Welcome to the downsizing podcast, guys
1: uh, <laughs> This is the podcast where we review bad movies <laughs> by great filmmakers
0: it, it's, it is kind of puzzling, but I, look, we don't have to get into it But in general, he's obviously a genius Let's just, I mean, come on Descendants, About Schmidt, Citizen Ruth What am I forgetting?
1: Uh, I think you got all of the, the classics, right? Um
0: well, then they're sideways.
1: Yeah. And to go back off of sideways, this is, if you haven't seen this film, um, it's a very good film for. Nebraska! Nebraska! I loved Nebraska! I love Nebraska too. That's a great film. Bruce
0: Dern is so fucking good. That's this. probably his
1: best film, right? Nebraska? Or you think election, no, is his best?
0: election is my favorite, but Nebraska's up there. I mean, I also really love about Schmidt. I mean, I know it's not. I love about Schmidt too. I know. He, yeah, he's one of those directors that's like every single thing just hits such a mark for me, but downsizing didn't. But I mean, come on, you can't win them all, right?
1: Yeah. Um, anyway,
0: sorry I interrupted you. I was just excited by Nebraska.
1: No, interruptions are great. Okay. I enjoy interruptions, <laughs> especially when they're fun interruptions. Yay. Fun interruptions.
0: Ooh, um, Jordan invented a word, everybody.
1: Funterruptions. Um, I don't think there's a better scene in movie history. Well, obviously there's great scenes in movie history, but I think this is like top 100 scenes in movie history. Um, this is a little spoiler. Skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear this. Um, but when he's drinking the wine at like a McDonald's or something, just some (laughs) fast food restaurant out of a styrofoam cup. That was one of my favorite movie scenes, I think, ever. I think it just talks about the fact that we're never living in the present, and we're always trying to wait for this sublime moment in our life where everything makes sense, and we're waiting for the moment where our romance... Is perfect. Our life is perfect. Our friends respect us. And in reality, we're never going to really get that. We're never going to become fully satisfied in our lives. So true. And the reason that we have luxury goods, the reason why we have special things and special occasions are because they distract us from, like, the terrible aspects of our lives. And, like, we shouldn't save things for when things are good. We should enjoy things everywhere along the road knowing that life is tough and knowing that drinking a very special wine when you're feeling very sad is more important than saving it until one day when you're really happy
0: yep you shouldn't save things for special occasions I always say that I used to do that when I was younger like if I got if like if I was, like, 13 and my cousin got me a perfume or something, I'd be like, oh, like, I'm not going to spray this because, like, I want to save it for my birthday party or something. And then when I got older, I was, like, using up that perfume so fast because I'm like, why am I waiting for a special occasion? Like, just do what you want to do now. Make every day a special occasion. I know that sounds like a a Disney World tagline or something, but it's really kind of true, I think.
1: Uh, I agree 100%. Yeah, I really
0: think. actually appreciate what you just said about that movie. I, I think that's very apt. And
1: especially where I'm at in my life, I don't know if I'm just jaded of life already, but most of the time special occasions don't live up to expectations oh, and then I'm disappointed. Yes. And the times that I've had the most joy the last like six months have been times when I did not expect to have tons of joy and really be engaged by an event or with a specific group of people
0: the best days of your life are when you don't expect them you know because you because you didn't you didn't know it was coming so you had no build-up you just all of a sudden have this really pleasant beautiful experience and then you remember it forever
1: yeah I'm kind of shocked when I enjoy things I feel (laughs) like Is a way that Paul Giamatti's character.
0: You're great, can Jordan. be
1: sometimes. You're great. Like I'll portray to the exterior, like, oh yeah, I'm having a good time. This is fun, but it's very rare that I'm like legitimately an enjoyment, and I feel like people who know me through Rhino see me at that form. I, I know.
0: I wouldn't have known that about you. Yeah,
1: no. I so rarely enjoy things anymore in life. Oh like, my gosh. It, it needs to be something like that I don't expect. I need to like meet somebody very new and like be engaged with a new thing.
0: That's why I love traveling. Like Anytime I'm traveling, I have a great time because everything's new. Everything's exciting. You never know what's going to happen. Even if you're just like... It's not like you have to go to Amsterdam or some place where, like, it's known for things exciting happening. You can be in, you know, some random, I don't know, you can be in Tempe, Arizona, and it's like everything around you is new. You've literally never seen any of it, even if you've seen pictures or whatever. It's just a different vibe. It's really exciting to be somewhere that you don't know. I always, like, I just love traveling so much because of that.
1: Yeah, and we definitely get a lot of that with California Wine Country mm-hmm. and Thomas Hayden Church's he, exploits.
0: Oh my God, he's so good in this movie, and the juxtaposition of the two of them with him always being like, "Hey man, whatever, like let's meet some girls," and Paul Giamatti just being like, "I want to die." That <laughs> it's so good.
1: That like getting the wallet scene mm-hmm. is so fucking funny.
0: <laughs> this
1: some good use of comedic full frontal nudity
0: always good we always appreciate that
1: uh i'm all about uh decreasing the gender gap in full frontal nudity
0: of course
1: Um, i want
0: to see you know i don't mean this in a sexual way not that there's anything wrong with that but like i want to see more penises in movies like why are girls always naked or not. Especially in horror movies, like in horror movies, in like slashers, women are always like their boobs are all over the place. I'm like, why don't we see some guy's dick right before he gets murdered instead?
1: Because it ruins the fantasy. <laughs> if you have to see these actors' actual penises, you can't fantasize about what their penises actually look like.
0: Yeah, I feel like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe you can shed some light on this because you enjoy both, well, not that there's only, <laughs> there's not only two genders of people, I know there's mo- more than two, but I I don't know I, like for me like just seeing a penis is not like ooh yes. Like I need to I need to be really attracted to the guy to want to see a guy's penis. But I feel like guys are more like they'll just look at any boobs like <laughs> they don't care.
1: Yeah, I wonder how much that's actually like reality or just, like, performative. Like, there is definitely an aspect of it where, like, yes, guys get, like, turned on when hot people are around or whatever, but also...
0: Like yes, you'd rather see like in what your opinion is of the hottest girl or the most beautiful woman, like you'd rather see her boobs. But basically any boobs seem fine. I feel like for most straight guys.
1: Yeah, but like women objectify guys in other ways, you know. That's I just don't true. think it's like the sex organs that women objectify.
0: Yeah, and I think I think because there's such a movement right now, it's like women objectify men even more, and they make such like a show of it. Whereas like, if it was a man doing it to a woman, it really wouldn't be okay. But because it, because it has been that way for so long, now women are like, yeah, show us your dick or something. And I'm just like, eh, everybody calm down. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Sideways, great recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> I as well recommend that.
1: The, the moral of Sideways is
0: Drink and Be Merry?
1: Yeah. I was going to say something about the penis comments. Oh. <laughs> I think the Drink and Be Merry is a better better lesson. Cool. <laughs> so what is your road movie?
0: Well, I thought of so many. I love road movies actually. There are plenty of road movies that aren't that good, but I still really enjoy them because the road movies. Of course, Easy Rider comes to mind. So iconic, uh, such a such a landmark milestone in cinema. Highly recommend that movie if you haven't seen it. Then of course in comedy, there's the vacation movies. Well, oh, just vacation. You've never seen a vacation? You've no. Ne- but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's, oh, okay, uh, okay. What's
1: his face? Chevy uh, Chase. That's not who I thought it was gonna be. No,
0: you don't know the vacation movies with Chevy Chase no. and Beverly D'Angelo. Oh my God. There's people screaming right now. These movies are really, like, kind of a big deal. So the first one was in 1983, and it's just called Vacation. And it's about this wacky dad that takes his wife and two kids, a boy and a girl, teenagers, on a cross-country road trip to Wally World, which is their... Uh, it's the, they're basically saying it's Disney World, but instead of Mickey Mouse, it's this moose named Wally, <laughs> and all the hijinks that could occur when you go on a road trip. This is not even my pick, by the way. I was just kind of casually mentioning it, but now that Jordan doesn't know about it, I <laughs> is it have to a national explain. National Lampoon. Yes. Okay. So that they, they started with Vacation, and then they did a bunch of other ones. So this time of year, everybody watches the Christmas Vacation one. You haven't seen that. Oh, you have to watch it. It's going to be on TV a lot this time of year. It's it's so... That one, I think, is my favorite besides the original Vacation. And I really
1: only know Chevy Chase. He's in Caddyshack, right?
0: Yeah, but you don't know him from SNL?
1: Like, I know him from SNL, but not really. Like, I wasn't around for that. I really only know him from Community, <gasps> oddly enough. Like, He's done so many funny... I don't think I've seen most of his films.
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah. You need to... My friend.
1: Yeah. And, like, now that we know who Chevy Chase is, like, I'm not in a rush to yeah. see all of his films, but it's like, yeah, cool, one day I'll see them, and it'll be fine. It'll be you good. know,
0: I love him as a performer. I know that lately there's been kind of, like, reports that he's not a nice guy. I actually did meet him one time in New York, and he was perfectly fine. He, 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 as a child, I loved him, because I loved vacation movies. I wasn't really disappointed by meeting him. He wasn't, like, super nice, but he, he signed autographs and was, like, cool. I mean... I don't know, but I don't really care about that so much. I feel like I draw more of a line in the sand when I hear about, like, sexual assault or something. He just seems like people call him a jerk. Yeah. People think he's an asshole. I don't really care about that. I, I'll always watch him as a comedian because he was amazing on SNL. I think he's one of those iconic 70s comedians, and he's great in all the vacation movies. I mean, even, like, European vacation is the one that I think is probably the least praised and... I still enjoy it. And then uh, there's Vegas Vacation, which I love. <laughs> like, yeah. a lot of people think it sucks, but I love Vegas Vacation. But whether or not you like all the iterations of it uh, over the years, I think the original is definitely overwhelmingly praised and is a classic no matter what. Cool. So I'd watch I'm that one. Out. And if you like that one, then you should watch Christmas Vacation. Or you can just watch Christmas Vacation, honestly. It's like It's a very big holiday staple. There's this... <laughs> So, so in the movie, Clark Griswold is the dad. He has a a uh, (laughs) brother-in-law, played by Randy Quaid, who is, like, your ultimate, like, hick. And he's always making Clark's life a living hell. And it's just so funny. You know, they don't have any money. They're always, you know, he's always trying to have some scheme to get Clark involved with this thing. So, maybe he can make money and, like... He's so funny. Randy Quaid's brilliant in, in those movies, and uh, I think you'll really, I think you'll really enjoy. That's another one you should really have on your list. So, another uh, one I thought of was Badlands, the Sissy Spacek, Martin Sheen movie from the seventies. Cool. Terence Malick, and then
1: I've also not seen it.
0: That's a great, great movie, and then a goofy movie. definitely a road movie I think that's like an underrated Disney movie but my official pick
1: drum roll please at your home
0: Little Miss Sunshine great pick one of my top favorites of all time Where do I start? I I feel like I should kind of keep this one short, because I will just go on forever about this movie.
1: No, you're allowed to go on for 30 minutes. I
0: love it. I love the characters so much. I love the way they all interact with each other. Steve Carell's brilliant as the suicidal brother. Paul Dano's excellent as the mute teen boy.
1: Who's the kid? Abigail Breslin. Um,
0: Abigail Breslin, yes,
1: she's amazing. She's
0: so great. She, she was like ahead
1: of her time, like one hundred percent. She was playing a character that wasn't even in the mainstream that much, and now that is like what being a girl in America oftentimes is. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it's the follow up would be like eighth grade <laughs> almost.
0: Yeah, like, that could be her growing like, up
1: fame and like trying to show off and be like a performer. Which I think is cool,
0: right? And then Tony Collette is one of my top favorite performers of all time. I think she always knocks it out of the park. She. A lot of people talk about like who the next Merle Streep is, and I always think it's her. Mm. I think Kate Winslet's kind of like another uh, nominee for that. Amy Adams, but for me, Tony Collette is like. I don't know. She's just everything that I've ever seen her do is flawless performance my favorite is probably the sixth sense but basically everything she does this is more of like a restrained role for her like she's more of like the regular character whereas like a lot of these characters have these like huge things going on in their life like the suicide attempt with steve carl's character or the beauty pageant or you know there's the alan arkin character the iconic grandfather who's such a loud mouth and all that kind of stuff And then she's kind of like the straight man, you know, she's just kind of there trying to keep everything together and go on this fun trip. And then her husband, played by Greg Kinnear, who's another just incredible actor who's done so many different things that I love. You know, he's he's really like that guy who's trying to hold it together. Like it's just he's just one thing away from freaking out. Right. And there's that. I think the probably most popular line in that movie is, okay, everybody just pretend to be normal <laughs> when they have the body in the back <laughs> and they get pulled over. I just love what this movie says about family and how all these different personalities can coexist and be on this trip together and all those little moments of annoyance in the car and like just trying to tolerate your family and get through it. Like We just got to get through it. Like And the fact that they're all doing this for Olive and her excitement and her passion when she gets that phone call and she just screams, and they're all trying to have, like, their their takeout, like, their KFC dinner, and, like, there's all those different dynamics. The way that scene flows is so great. Like, you get a taste of every single character, and you also get what the movie's going to be about, right? It's like the, it's like the, what they call an inciting incident when you're in yeah. screenplay class.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> We've been there. Um, so I just, I just, I think it's one of the funniest films while also being so true and real and the climax of the movie with everybody getting on stage and I guess I won't spoil it further if you haven't seen it but it's just so great and the the messages also of you don't have to be a certain thing to be beautiful is very important. The scenes between Olive and her grandfather I think are so important and the ice cream scene where... Greg is telling his kid, you shouldn't eat ice cream because you're going to be in a pageant in a few days, honey, and people who eat ice cream become fat and everyone else is like, eat the damn ice cream, just yeah. do it. You know, that, I'm more on, on the side of eat the damn ice cream, but I also think that in a way he was trying to protect her from what ended up happening to her, right, It's getting ridiculed, you know, so there was love behind those comments as well. You know, there's different layers to these relationships, and I think it's really brilliantly portrayed. All while they're on the road, which makes it just that much better.
1: Also, I like this Steve Carell role.
0: Steve Carell is so... This was probably his first foray into drama, right? Yeah. And, and he nailed it.
1: Yeah, he did a great job. Shout out, Steve Carell. I know I hated on you in the last episode a little bit.
0: We love you. Please come on the show. You're so great.
1: You. I don't even think you were Michael Scott yet, were you? Was he yes. Michael Scott at this point? Yeah, because... Why was he Michael Scott?
0: 2005, and this was 2006.
1: Was it 2006? Oh, yep. cool. Nice.
0: You'll find that I can remember things about movies more than anything else, and if I had this superpower regarding, I don't know, biology or something, I probably would have cured cancer by now, but that's not what I was gifted. <laughs> 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 so, all right, so let's move on to... Our civil rights related movies. What is your pick, Jordan?
1: Cool, I'm gonna go with something that's not like civil rights era, but same thread, I guess. Kind of present day civil rights film. And I'm gonna go with the Ryan Coogler directed Fruitvale Station, starring Michael B. Jordan.
0: Imagine going through life with your name Michael Jordan.
1: Yeah, he gets asked about it so much. And I'm just like, I've already heard six interviews where you have to talk about it. And he's just like, yeah, like basketball, it's cool, it's whatever. And he's
0: also black, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's just funny. Imagine being Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I unfortunately have never seen this movie, which I feel like really sucks. I need to see it.
1: I think this is going to go down as one of the better films of this whole, I guess, Black Lives Matter era of culture. It did not get a huge amount of recognition. It's a short film. You could watch it pretty quickly. Obviously, now you guys all know Ryan Coogler from, like...
0: Black Panther. Black
1: Panther, Creed, like, big budget things. But this is just, like, a nice character-driven drama about a real-life person, uh, who was a victim of police brutality, um, and it really shows a humanizing picture of Oscar Grant, um, who is, uh, the Michael B. Jordan character, and I think that it was kind of the first of these films that were dealing with this topic. It was dealing with the shooting that happened at the Fruitvale station in the BART system. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wish more people watched it because it was such a great Michael B. Jordan performance. It could be one of his best performances. Uh, I don't really know what else makes Michael B. Jordan Michael B. Jordan because this is just how I see him as like a great American actor. I guess like The Wire... Yes. Oh, playing. he's so
0: good on the wire. Y- oh my god, you guys just 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 if you're going to watch the wire, just like brace yourself for this character arc, okay? I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get into it.
1: We can't get into Wallace right now. Oh
0: my god, Wallace, I love you. <laughs> anyway,
1: we know where Wallace at.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: um, also Friday Night Lights. Friday
0: Night Lights, he was also on Parenthood, which is a show that I love.
1: Dax, your guy.
0: I love Dax, yeah. And I actually really love everyone on that show, but Dax is probably my favorite besides Lauren Graham. But he was great on that as well, and he he's really becoming one of these actors to watch, who I think is going to be around for years, and I think this was the start of that for him. Even though I haven't seen the film, I remember the buzz around him and everyone just talking about how great he was. And... I'm excited to see it. It's something that's been on my list for a while, but maybe, I think we should bump up whatever we recommend on the show, we should bump up in our lists to watch so that we can then talk about them.
1: I was going to say, you guys should keep a a record of films that Leah recommends for me and then send it over. (laughs) I guess that's my job as the podcast producer to compile a list of Leah recommendations. Oh my gosh, but...
0: yes. Jordan does everything. All I do is sit here and talk, I promise you. I'm going to do the Instagram, but that's, I mean, I already run my own Instagram and my business is Instagram, so I'm like, whatever, what's one more? <laughs> <laughs> but I i just, I appreciate that, so thank you.
1: Yeah, of course. So um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I have to say about Fruitvale Station. Besides the fact that it's just—it's really my type of film. It's like right up my alley. Character, indie, well shot.
0: That's my alley too. So I'll probably love it.
1: Nothing, nothing really forced. Like hey. nothing felt over the top. It just felt like, yep, this is who this guy is. This is his life. He lives it. Um, Jordan
0: and I come from the same alley. I just found out.
1: Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Route 94. Right.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. That's a deep cut. Yeah. Shout out Gina. You'll get that one. Gina's from Burnin' 2. Oh, nice. And, all right. Is that... Are you good with that? Anything else?
1: Yeah, that's good, I think. Uh, Yeah, we're we're, we're good with Fruitvale Station. Um, One of the most underrated films of our time. Um, You
0: heard it. Here first. Well, probably not first, but it's been out for a while.
1: <laughs> oh, also Octavia Spencer is dope in it. Kills it every time. Yeah. She plays a very great character as the mom of Oscar Grant.
0: Speaking of Octavia Spencer with civil rights movies, I didn't choose this movie, but the help went through my mind. Have you seen the help?
1: I've not seen The Help. Ooh And I'm a huge Emma Stone fan.
0: Yeah, I so. feel like that's Octavia's iconic role, you know. I mean, well, you don't know, but she has quite an iconic part in that movie. I know I use that word a lot, but I just love iconic people. (sighs) She's great in it. And then the other film that I thought of that I was going to choose is Ghosts of Mississippi. Hmm. Have you seen that one? I have not. (laughs) So this is your very, uh, I don't want to say typical, but it's like a 90s courtroom drama. And it's about the activist Medgar Evers he was murdered oh, in 1963 and a lot of the evidence seems to point to Byron D. Beckwith, played by James Woods and uh, the jury is of course made up of white people and James Woods
1: is also really racist in really real life, in real life. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah I was going to mention that <laughs> uh, so not really a stretch for him And uh, so he's acquitted by a jury of white people, despite the fact that it's quite obvious that he has done this. And uh, his widow is played brilliantly by Whoopi Goldberg. And the lawyer who ends up getting him off, or not getting him off, but um, you know, the lawyer who helps bring the truth to the surface is played by Alec Baldwin. And he's great in this as well. And uh, you know, it's, it's all, it's a true story. And I, I mean, I think it's represented well, and I was very hooked the entire time I watched that movie, definitely. I was very, I I really like courtroom dramas, especially in the 90s for some reason. I feel like it was the era of courtroom dramas. And so I, I recommend that movie, but the movie that I ended up picking is a really underrated film, and I might get some flack for choosing this rather than a movie that has, you know, an overwhelmingly, um like a specific story about people of color, but I think this ties into everything. It's directed by Emilio Estevez, and it's a film called Bobby, and it's about Bobby Kennedy, who is my favorite politician of all time, and if you've seen Green Book, you know that Kennedy has a little mention in this movie.
1: Yeah, a tad bit.
0: As I mean, if you're making a film set in the 60s that deals with civil rights. I don't know how his name couldn't come up. I feel like if he had not been assassinated, we would live in a better world today. Maybe that's a little too optimistic of me, but it's something that I like to believe anyway. And this movie, I feel like, did not get a fair shake. It's an ensemble drama about the day Bobby Kennedy died. And it has, maybe it does have too many characters. It has a lot of big name actors. And they all play people who happen to be at the Ambassador Hotel on the day that Bobby Kennedy was shot. And so some of the stories are...
1: Wait, whoa. You, you can't just say ensemble drama and not mention this list of people who are in this. Um, would you like to
0: go down the list, Jordan?
1: I would love to go down the list. Go ahead. Um, it is Shia LaBeouf, Ashton Kutcher, Lindsay Lohan, William H. Macy... Heather Graham, Anthony Hopkins, did I say Helen Hunt already? Nope. Lawrence Fishburne, Emilio Estevez, Nick Cannon, and Harry Belafonte. And
0: Demi Moore, who actually maybe gives my favorite performance, and Martin Sheen.
1: I'm going to have to run, open the door, keep talking.
0: (laughs) So this movie, I saw it when it came out. And it affected me deeply because like I said, Bobby Kennedy is my favorite politician of all time. And I really have always been affected by his story and his message and how I really do believe that he and his brother were trying to change things in this world, which is something that is mentioned in Green Book by Dr. Shirley. And all these different stories of these people on the day of this horrible incident, the way that they're shot I really like, the way that the film is arranged, it actually got a lot of, uh, it was panned, you know, pretty much, I I think it was mostly panned, I don't, I don't pay too much attention to that when I really love a movie, I'm just kind of like, oh, I don't really care if the critics didn't like it, I love it, I think that there are some seriously incredible performances here. I think Demi Moore is absolutely stunning as this singer hired to perform that day who's dealing with alcohol, well, dealing with alcoholism, and Helen Hunt playing her hairstylist and the scenes between them are some of my favorites. But the reason why I think this really ties into the civil rights movement, besides the obvious, it's about Bobby Kennedy's death, well, it's about the date he died, is Nick Cannon's character because his character is so impassioned about Bobby Kennedy and this takes place after Dr. King died and one of the major lines from the film that was in the trailer is when he says you know now that Dr. King is gone all we have left is Bobby and I think this kid that's on the campaign trail working for Bobby's campaign that is so excited about the possibility of This man who believes all men were created equal, just as Dr. King said, is so beautiful. And then the devastation of what happens, it just hits you so hard because you really, if you identify with anyone in the movie, I feel like it's him because there's a lot of, you know, Maybe maybe a drunk club singer, <laughs> bless you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a drunk club singer is not the story that you want to hear in this movie, and I think that's why it was panned. Is because there's so many like stories, and you're just like, okay, I don't really care about this person or this person. I'm more interested in this other character. I, that seeing this through Nick Cannon's character shoes, it just, it just makes it all the more devastating. This, this loss of this man, who you really got a sense was trying to change things and had the most beautifully unadorned way of speaking they play his real speeches in the film rather than have an actor uh saying them which i think is so powerful i think it's important that his voice be heard he just has such a frank way of talking about violence in america and racism and hate in general that is so relevant today that every time there's a shooting or any kind of incident involving violence or terrorism i always feel the need well I, i don't do it every time now because there's just so many damn incidents that it would be probably a little annoying if i posted it every time but i always am i always think of the mindless men the mindless menace of violence speech which is played in this film and it's a very very deeply affecting speech if you are in the right mindset and in the right place to listen to it i recommend listening to it it's so profound and I just get get emotional thinking about it, but maybe this film wasn't the absolute greatest that it could possibly be, but the performances are excellent. Every single actor in this movie, I think, does a great job, and I love watching all of their stories and how they all happen to be at this hotel on this day, and I think Emilio Emilio put so much heart into it. He really did, and I just recommend this movie. Bobby.
1: Yeah. It also came out about... 12 years ago, November 23rd.
0: Oh, almost exactly.
1: Yeah. We'll pretend we're shooting this on November 23rd. <laughs> Although that's pretty far, far in advance. Yeah. We're shooting it on November 24th. <laughs> so if anything we're talking about is outdated by then. Right. You guys will know.
0: So, so yeah. Shall we
1: get into the non-spoiler review of Green Book? Here's our
0: non-spoiler review of Green Book. So if you haven't seen the film yet, feel free to keep listening. Okay, so what brought you to Green Book?
1: What brought me to Green Book? I've been hearing about it for a while. I love Mahershala Ali. And I don't really think there was that much else that I needed, Right. honestly. Um, it seemed like an interesting concept. People were talking about it as being one of the big films of the year and kind of one of the films that might uh, get some Oscar buzz. So there was definitely that surrounding it beforehand, but other than that, um, I just figured it was going to be interesting, and I will watch anything that Mahershala Ali is in, and I am stoked that he's going to bring back the True Detective franchise. Ah,
0: It's going to be good! I hope so. Yeah. I hope it's more season one than season two.
1: Yes, because Mahershala Ali is a blessing to us because he is not only... Our best film actor, but our best television actor you think from he's... his time as Remy Danton.
0: Okay, wait. You think he's the best film actor?
1: I think we haven't seen what his potential is yet. Um, okay. Wait, let's go through his filmography a little bit. I'm
0: not saying he just... isn't. I just thought that was an interesting comment.
1: Um, yeah, no. I think he's just getting started. up there. I think he's the future of... American acting if he's not already it Ah, maybe he's not the greatest actor right now.
0: (laughs) He obviously was a revelation in Moonlight. I think that's all you need to know in order to want to see another movie with him in it.
1: See, like, I don't even remember who he was in Treme. What the f...
0: I haven't seen that show. Now
1: it makes more sense that I like him so much (laughs) because I probably was subliminally messaged by watching Treme and enjoying Treme. He's... Yeah, he's just kind of coming into his own with, like, these big roles. I never finished Roxanne, Roxanne, but it was good from what I was watching. Yeah, Uh, so that was my intro into Mahershala Ali and into Green Book.
0: (laughs) So I was interested in the movie because I usually follow what goes on with the major film festivals, and this premiered pretty hard at TIFF. Like, people, people were praising it a lot. I think some people have issues with how racial relations are portrayed, but for the most part, it was a pretty big movie out of TIFF. It won the People's Choice Award there. And, again, Mahershala Ali, it's... I mean, ever since I saw Moonlight, I just feel like he's a person to watch, and that definitely, definitely remains after seeing this performance. So, I loved the movie. What did you think of the movie?
1: I loved it Yay. as well. I, like... He just draws the camera to him, like, any time that he is in the frame, Mm -hmm. you're like, wow, this is just a master course in acting.
0: So, for those who don't know, the, the green book that they're referring to is the Negro Motorist Green Book, which was a book that had a guide to all of the places where... African-American, or African, just any person of color basically was welcome. So in the 1960s, obviously there was segregation in America, and there were certain bathrooms you couldn't use if you were a person of color. There were certain hotels you couldn't stay at. There were bars and restaurants you were not welcome in. And this book was a guide to all the places where you were welcome. And so the film is about this very distinguished man named Don Shirley. True story, by the way. Who has three doctorates, including uh, one in music, and he is a pretty famous pianist. And he needs to go on tour with his—it's a trio—and he needs someone to go on tour with him to not only be his driver and kind of like his tour manager, but also to protect him. He needs a tough guy. He's not just going to hire any old. You know, personal assistant. He needs a tough guy who basically is going to beat the ass of anyone who tries to murder him, since that was literally the. Sorry to laugh. I'm not really laughing about that. It's just we were saying before when things are so sick and sad, sometimes you just have to laugh because it's like comic
1: relief. But which I feel like Vigo's character
0: right it's definitely like, yeah. provides
1: a lot of comic relief. So
0: he, <laughs> you know, through word of mouth is. Recommended to Dr. Shirley as this person who can help him and he works at the Copacabana as a bouncer and they're closing for a couple of months for renovation so he's also in the market for a job.
1: And he's just this working class Italian dude where yes. all of his friends are working class Italian dudes.
0: And so that's basically the plot of the film, and something for me that was a huge touchstone is that I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, I mean, my mom went to see it on Thanksgiving, and I'm like, this guy is my father. This guy is literally my father. Uh, my dad is is uh, in the movie, Tony. His name is Tony Lip. He's from the Bronx. My dad was from East Harlem and grew up in East Harlem in New York when it was all Italians, and he did grow up in a neighborhood where if a black person crossed the street from uh, you know the I don't know what was like right next to the Italian neighborhood, but crossed over into the Italian neighborhood. My dad saw a lot of people get beat up, just because they were black and things like that. And my dad is not a racist, but my dad definitely uses the word in the movie that is the Italian word for, you know, yeah. eggplant. He has used that word before, and I think it kind of made me think because I'm like, well, my dad isn't racist now, but maybe he kind of had a Tony Lip experience where maybe when he was younger, he was a little bit, well, I mean, Tony Lips is very racist. They show him being very blatantly racist in the beginning of the movie. Like maybe he had this kind of experience because when I tell you that this movie, this character is my dad, I'm saying like, a lot of people are saying that Beagle Morton's character is a caricature of an Italian stereotype. And I'm He's telling you not. that he is not. It there is accurate. There are
1: like that now still. Like I hear... <laughs> Italians say stupid shit that Vigo Morgenson has said, mm-hmm. and I'm Italian and like I'm yes. around. I've been around these people or who have said things like this, and I'm just like, oh, I'm Jesus.
0: telling you, <laughs> everything in this movie down to like he doesn't write well. Like he's writing letters to his wife on the road trip, and Dr. Shirley has to help him with him with it. Like anytime my dad writes, actually writes anything. it's misspelled. I mean, like seriously, because in that era, if you're growing up in New York and you're Italian, like schooling was not important. Like you needed to get on the streets and work and you were either taking on your family business, which for my dad was like his, his father owned some saloons, like nightclubs in the city, or you were joining, or you were doing something with the mafia, or you were like, you know, this, Uh, like you had to get out and find a job like it wasn't schooling wasn't important like you would find a job in the neighborhood with all the guys and like even down to the littering like there's a scene where you know he throws a cup out the window and Dr. Shirley's like you need to stop and go back and get that and like my dad would be this like my dad would leave like a cup on the street and I'd be like daddy like you're not supposed to litter and he'd be like ah like there's guys that come and clean the streets don't worry about it and I like I mean everything was my dad's so I turn to my mom and I go this is daddy and she goes he knew him he, you, you know that and I was like what <laughs> and, I, and I didn't know that but my dad knew Tony and so I was like of course like that makes so, like because they are the same person so I was like of course like and since he grew up in that era of New York City too I was like oh my god and then I came home and my dad's like of course like Tony Lip, blah 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 blah, blah talk, <laughs> talking about the Copacabana and you know my dad used to frequent that nightclub very often and talks about those glory days and seeing Nat King Cole there and like him dancing on the tables and all that stuff and it was just like <laughs> it was a big like aha moment for me where I was like oh yeah like that of course that makes sense but for me and like the Italian aspects like the family everyone coming over everyone eating the language they use not just the the racist language but I mean like just in general yeah. everything they said like that it, it felt like being home or it felt like being with family and I'm telling you, it's really authentic. It's not a caricature. And I think Viggo Mortensen was absolutely brilliant. The both of them deserve Oscars. I don't know why we're even, like, doing anything. Just give it to them, please. Like, I <laughs> 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 they were both so good. And, and uh, Mahershala Ali's very calm, almost royal energy yeah. compared to Viggo's working-class Italian... Uh, kind of uncultured, you know, shoveling food in his mouth every second he gets. (laughs) I mean, very uncomfortable being proper. The two of them together, they just, I mean, in my opinion, they kind of like made movie magic.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a very good story for our time because it deals, yes, it deals with race, but it seems to deal more with class and race and... This idea of what it means to be masculine, what it means to be a man, and kind of all of that stuff too, which I feel like is the theme of a lot of guy-centric films, is like going back, like back against this idea that like to be a man you have to beat the shit out of people. Right. Which like there were definitely times in this film where Vigo's character used his ability to beat the shit out of people to get mm. what he wanted. But it was the times that he didn't beat the shit out of people that I feel like it was more poignant and you got to the more important lessons and how you can't just fight people all the time because you're going to lose a fight eventually, like that type of idea.
0: And, And Dr. Shirley was fighting people as well, just in a different way, because he was so... He isolated himself and was almost afraid to love people and almost afraid. Well, no, not almost. He was afraid to. And we'll get more into that in spoiler talk. Yeah. But he was afraid to to connect with people, and and a lot of people are calling this a white savior film. And yes, he he literally, you know, uh, Tony does literally save him from violence, but. He was smart enough to hire someone. He was smart enough to hire a white man to take him through the country and to take care of those issues for him, and he's the catalyst of everything. You know, you could say Dr. Shirley saves Tony because Tony was out of work and needed a job to provide for his family. You know, they show it's pointed. They show many times like, you know, his his wife's like, "Okay, we got to pay the rent, Tony," you know, and
1: I want to get into some spoilers. Are we ready for spoilers or do we have um, anything else? Because well, I, I feel, feel like, it's like kind of on the same strand that you're t- Talking about
0: well, I did want to say that uh, I, I, I wanted to kind of talk about the Oscar cool potential because I think that they're gonna split this and they're gonna put Mahershala in supporting and Vigo in lead, which I kind of feel like they were co leads, but I did also kind of agree with you that it's. Hey.
1: I, was, I was saying before the podcast that I felt. The way they framed the film, it was the Viggo Mortensen film, not the Mahershala Ali film.
0: Yeah. Well, he did lo- He put on like 50 pounds for this movie. And he, I mean, the last movie I saw him in was Captain Fantastic. And he's almost unrecognizable between the two movies.
1: Yeah. It's a very cool yeah. looking Viggo. He looks very distinctly different.
0: He is this person. Like, when I tell you it's my father, I've never seen a more... Well, I don't want to say never because, of course, in in Marty's movies, there's so many portrayals of Italian-American men. But it's just so authentic. I mean, I can't tell you how much it's like the guy down the block. Like, it's so real. I haven't known someone like Mahershala Ali's character, Dr. Shirley, but I think you also felt the authenticity there.
1: Yeah, no, there's definitely... Like, even though I don't live in the time that this film took place, there are so many people in my life who remind me very much of Dr. Shirley, and there are so many people in my life who remind me of Vigo Morgensen, which is mm-hmm. why I think this is an important film right now. Because we do have those racist relatives, those people in our lives who say things that we don't really want to be around or be associated with, even though nobody has an issue being associated with him when he's saying these things in the film. Um, But, like, you have these people in your life who you're like, wow, why do they talk this way? Why do they act this way? And then you look at their life, and they're surrounded by it. Like, Viggo Morgensen is very much a product of his environment and where he comes from and where he lives and the people who he's around and kind of this behavior that rewards this behavior more... And kind of this boys club kind of a thing Of like we're, we're the guys, we're gonna hang out We're gonna shoot the shit And we're gonna make fun of people And that's all we do all day Is eat cold cuts and make fun of
0: people Yes, <laughs> no it's real This is not a caricature, it really isn't And, and uh, I think Peter Farrelly Who normally directs straight up comedies did a great job of balancing the the character portrayals, the comedy, the drama, the serious race issues. Some people are complaining that this movie really is just surface level race issues, but I mean, you see the guy get beat up pretty badly and you see his life at risk. I mean, you you see a man pull a knife on him. I I don't know. I, I think I think there were some things they went a little surface level on, which we'll get into in the spoiler talk, but I also think that movies have to be a little bit more accessible because not everybody's going to want to see this, like, very raw and brutal film about race issues in America. So for this to come out on Thanksgiving and and involve these themes of family and and friendship and these uh, unlikely BFFs, you know what I mean? Like, it needs to be accessible for people who aren't going to, who aren't going to dial into these issues who think that these issues don't exist anymore or who think that it was never an issue to begin with because they're still racist.
1: There, there were a lot of parallels to present day time. Yeah. When like Vigo Morganson's character, Tony Lip doesn't really understand the extent of the racism in the South or understand the extent that, uh, African Americans were, uh, Discriminated against, you know, like mm-hmm. he had his surface level kind of like, oh, we're gonna make fun of him, like, ah, oh, we're gonna get pissed off when he comes into our house or crosses the street by us. But like, it very much was never he was trying to create like perpetrate violence against a black person in this film. Like, there was kind of a point where you saw that Vigo had a code, kind of, you know, like he was just like treat people with respect. Like, I'm not gonna beat the shit out of somebody unless they're disrespecting people. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was awesome about the film. I like was very on guard with the cheesiness factor and I never really felt it too much. Like there were points where you thought it was going to get cheesy, but I felt like the acting was just too good to get cheesy.
0: Yeah, people are calling it kind of like hokey, crowd-pleasing, and I'm like, well, you know, it's not bad to be crowd-pleasing. Like not everything has to be so fucking rebellious and different, and I'm someone who loves rebellious and different shit, but like I just think, I just think that these kind of stories have to be accessible to people. It has to have a glossy finish in order to get attention and hopefully this will open the eyes of some people that, you know, don't see things from someone else's shoes that just view their own perspectives, their own environments and think that that's just the world. You know, there's a part where, you know, one of the big themes of this movie is the the relationship between Tony and his wife played by Linda Cardellini and he writes these letters to her from the road that Dr. Shirley ends up helping him write and one of the things he says in one of the letters is like I never knew how beautiful America really was and now that I'm out here and I'm seeing it like I really see how beautiful it is and you know I remember experiencing that too when I went to different states and seeing like how how um, beautiful and all the different types of beauty in the country and when you just grow up in New York City, and all you see is New York City, which is this place that so many people want to go to and so many people think of as the biggest, greatest city in the world, it's like, well, if that's all you ever see, then you are sheltered, you know? You can experience so much in this one city, but you're not going to experience, like, the plains of Iowa or, like, the desert of Arizona or, you know, the beaches in California or Florida. Like, you, you need to actually see that farmland in Texas or whatever, you know? And I think that Moment that was just a few lines, but I think it kind of show. It's kind of like a metaphor for the whole movie. It's like you you need to get out there and see what's going on. You can't just stay in your own little echo chamber.
1: And you need to meet people on a personal level yes. and get to know them. Yes. Like, we are very alienated from people right now in America. Like everybody is enthralled in Facebook, their phones. We don't talk to people on a regular basis. We don't talk face to face with people on a regular basis we're all very busy with our jobs because housing is too expensive and we have to work multiple jobs because shit sucks in america (laughs) (laughs) in like the way that our economy is set up Mm -hmm. but these are the valuable things that make us human it's just connecting with other people and really trying to unite and figure out common ground
0: right
1: and i think this film did it in a non-cheesy way
0: yeah, and I thought it was interesting how um, Nick Vallelonga, who's Tony Lip's son, he had a very big hand in making this movie. He co-wrote it, and he was on set often, and I read an article where he said he was actually moved to tears several times watching his mother and father, who of course weren't his real mother and father, but the actors, and how authentic it really was. So I know that some of it might not feel as authentic as people wish that it was, but at least the story with the family is, and I think that's kind of like the roots that and, like, just Dr. Shirley in general, like, his character is the catalyst for everything, so people calling it a white savior film I don't really agree with, but can we get into spoilers now? Yeah, let's
1: get into spoilers. 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 are coming
0: to your ears spoilers. now.
1: Spoilers. All right. I was going to say, um, along the realm of the white savior thing... If you saw the film, you know like you see the end where it is really Dr. Shirley who kind of saves uh, Tony Lip in the jail because he gets Bobby Kennedy on the phone. Hell yeah. Which She's I'm gonna assuming call my that has to be true. I don't think they would have fabricated that. I
0: think it is. I mean, he also Bobby also got Dr. King out of jail.
1: Yeah. So I think that was the good part about the story. It's that black and white people need to help each other and people in general need to help each other. Like we're all in this together. Um, Like anybody who is oppressed in society in some way or another, anybody who's discriminated in society one way or another, like we're all in the same boat. You know, we're all trying to just have some kind of safety, have some kind of stability, and, like, make sure our families get everything that they need. Mm -hmm. And this film really showed that in a lot of ways, especially since Mahershala Ali's character was not... He didn't have family, really. And he isolated himself. And he isolated himself because he chose, I need to make this money, I need to be this pianist, I need to... Do what I'm going to do because nobody's going to respect me in life if I'm not the best at doing this. Yeah, I mean, being I think a black classical pianist.
0: The only reason that he was welcome in these places and in these people's homes is because of his talent, and he knew that. You know, he knew that he wasn't going to be respected on a level of being a human being. There's the devastated scene, the devastating scene when he's playing at that you know beautiful home at the last. Was it? I don't know. If, no, it wasn't the last one, but it was. It was close to the last tour date when. You know, the owner of the home is happy to have him play in the living room, but then once he goes to use the bathroom, he says, oh, our bathroom's out there, and then they show the shot of the outhouse. Yeah. I mean, how can that be your mindset that, of course, you can come into my home and play, but you can't use my bathroom? It is kind of like you're just another service worker. Like, you're, you know, you're just like my, you know, maid or or my butler who has to go outside, you know?
1: that's kind of the thing with what's going on in the NFL right now with like the Colin Kaepernick stuff is very much like when he was playing and being a great player and bringing San Francisco to a championship that year that he ended up losing in the Super Bowl, but people were fine with him playing then and people have been fine with watching black players in the NFL for so long and they will continue watching black players in the NFL. But the second it gets into talking about the issues that black Americans face and police brutality and that stuff, then they're basically told, use the outhouse. And I think that's why this film is important right now, among other reasons
0: yeah.
1: that this film connects with the dynamics that are going on in America. <laughs>
0: Well, I felt like one aspect where it actually was kind of surface level and they didn't go deeper is that he's gay.
1: Yeah. So
0: that was kind of really brushed over. And I can tell you that, I mean, of course, I'm not saying that my dad and Tony are the same person. I mean, I did say that, but I was (laughs) exaggerating. Uh, My dad is not homophobic, but he still has... Parts of that person that are still, you know, he's on the older side, and he accepts people who are gay. But I think he would still, in circles like this, with his all his Italian friends, and might say something that isn't too that isn't really okay. But I don't feel like I don't. You didn't I mean, think that
1: scene was truthful with Tony I, the Lion accepting him?
0: I don't think so. I mean. He probably, here's the thing, is that with these these Italian guys, money talks. So, Shirley has the money. Shirley's paying him. So, of course, he's not going to say shit to him about his sexual orientation. Behind his back, I think, yes, he'd be like, he'd probably say the F word or something like that, you know? Uh Of course, I can't speak for him. Maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he was totally cool with it. Of course, there are people that were, right?
1: The explanation of it was very cool, I thought. Right. I feel like they backed it up pretty well because, yeah, there were definitely tons of gay people at the Copacabana, probably, and in the bathroom, and he's probably caught a lot of people doing things that they don't want people knowing about, so...
0: He's seen a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my dad's mentality on that has always been, like, what people do in their own houses is none of my business. Uh, But, of course, this was kind of... I mean, it wasn't in public. Were were they at, like, a YMCA or something?
1: They were at a YMCA, like, pool or bathroom or something?
0: They were skinny dipping together, and, you know, I think that could have been touched on a little bit more. I wanted to hear more about that, like, what his... You know, he was married to a woman, and that didn't work out, which I guess we're supposed to think it didn't work out because he was gay, but I feel like he also had so many other deep-seated issues that dealt with his race. You know, he didn't really identify with... A lot of black culture he was very yeah. isolated as I said like he just kind of he seemed like he didn't want to get to know his own people and lot, there were a lot of things that Tony Lip said that were very ignorant about that but then also when he was like hey you don't even know your own people I kind of felt like that was truthful right like he he didn't seem to spend time with anyone else who was in that African-American community the only people we really see him talk to are like employees you know his his butler is indian and of course he treats him with respect uh he treats everyone with respect but you just don't see him you know i you know i want to hear about like his mother i want to hear about his family like where did he come from what did he do you know i i would have liked how did he become dr shirley how did he get three doctorates you know was he born into a rich family and they could afford this kind of schooling or you know, like I wanted to know more about him in the movie I mean of course you can google him he was a real person but I would have liked to know more about that and I would have liked them to do a deep dive on the on the uh, homosexuality and how that affected his demeanor everyday because I mean being being black in America in 1962 was enough of a struggle and then being gay on top of it not having people that you can just be with you know openly and have a relationship openly I mean that you know just thinking about that makes me want to cry so
1: you kind of got the message that that was why he was on the road all the time also Mm -hmm. and like that was the issue of being on the road because that's the reason why his marriage failed with his wife was being on the road Mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of code for oh yeah when I was on the road I had other lovers, mm-hmm. kind of.
0: <laughs> I really like the part. I, I like how uh, Dr. Shirley was always kind of refusing to stoop to a lower level. Like, he won't, he'll never steal. He'll never uh, litter, things like that. I really love the scene where Tony Lip is gambling out in the back. Yeah. And he gets dirt on his knees, and, and Dr. Shirley tells him to, like, brush off his knees, like, he would never get down in the dirt and play a game like that. Like, he would never illegally gamble. Like, even though it was just an innocent game in the back, it wasn't, like, you know, racketeering or something like that. But still, it's, like, he won't do that. You know what I mean? Like, he is this distinguished man. Like, he has a he has a code. He has things that he will not do. And I love that about his character. It was just so, like, beautiful to see somebody with those ethics and morals and, like, he wouldn't break them. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I, I also agree with that. I think it's a pretty easy way... This film is also a pretty easy way to explain white privilege.
0: <laughs> of course, yeah, because, of course, Tony can get away with that. You know what I mean? If If Dr. Shirley stole that rock at the gas station and was caught, he could be, like murdered.
1: And this is like very much the argument that people have who say, I don't have white privilege. What what do you mean? I grew up poor. I grew up this. I grew up that. And like when it comes down to it, there's still so many things that you could get away with as a white person that you can't get away with as a person of color in this country. Even if you are the most upstanding and respected musician in the country in a lot of ways or one of the most respected musicians, people are still going to look at the color of your skin first and have prejudices.
0: Yeah. I thought they really did a good job with like showing how that benefited Dr. Shirley and also how it didn't matter at all. Like his fame and his talent. Of course it affords him a better lifestyle than a lot of African Americans at that time. But at the end of the day, these white people just saw him as less than still, you know, he's not allowed to dine in the dining room at the end and the way that they really fight that. And The way that Tony goes from someone who threw away glasses that African-American men had drank from to this man who's saying, no, 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 like, you need to let him dine here. Like, this is absolutely ridiculous, you know, to trying to punch that guy out. And Dr. Shirley stopping him, you know, he's always the one who's saying, like, you know, don't resort to violence.
1: Yeah. And... Who? What was I going to talk about? There was the scene in which. <sighs> Keep talking. I guess if you have something else that you want us to talk about. Well,
0: I did want to talk about the scene. I mean, every scene where he plays piano is so moving, and. Did
1: his... he actually play the piano?
0: Yeah, he did. Yeah, but, but he
1: definitely deserves the Oscar because he... he looked amazing when he played the piano.
0: Well, he did, but. The things that he was playing, you can't possibly learn in the time frame that he had. I mean, Chopin is very complex. So Chris Bowers, who uh, did the music for the film, he doubled for Mahershala in some scenes. So I think the more complex things... Uh, he, he did have a double and they probably split the screen, right? Cause there's so many full body shots of Mahershala playing. It's not like one of those movies where they show the hands and then they cut to the face and then they cut to the hands. They show the full body shots. I
1: was wondering how much of it was him playing it in like slow time and then they just speed it up.
0: Right. That's possible as well. I'm not, I'm not sure of that actually, but I do know that, um, that Chris did double for him. But what I was gonna say is the scene I think they really do a good job of showing how music heals people, and we were talking kind of about that with when we talked about almost famous as one of my favorite movies is like yeah. what music can do for people and when they I mean first of all, just in general, like they show how music brings people together like these people would not have this man in their house if he did not have talent, which of course there's problems with that. but I love the scene where I don't know if it's there's it's, like a
1: twenty five minute ending of this film. I feel like. There was just, like, a- after they decide to leave the final gig and they go to the Blues Club, like, from that point on, it's just such a satisfying film mm-hmm. in every way.
0: <laughs> well, for me, what was I was going to say is the scene where they really show the close-up of him, of his face, when he's playing very passionately after... Is it is it after the skinny-dipping incident or one of the other incidents? Yeah, or the yeah. jail?
1: I think it's after the skinny-dipping.
0: And they just show him... You know, because he's so calm, cool, and collected during the whole movie. He's very restrained. He doesn't lose it, even in times when it would make sense and be very appropriate for him to lose it. But he knows that he can't because he knows that if he does, he'll be that black guy that, you know, freaked out and was dangerous and was, you know, going to hurt somebody, right? So he knows that he has to stay restrained like that, and he does such a brilliant job of it. But he lets out his anger and his frustrations onto the piano. And yeah. it's so beautiful. And, and I mean, Marsha, you, you could just show that one... You know those seconds of him doing that and, and giving me Oscar—it's so great. And uh, of course, he also—he's very flawed. Like he has—he—he's ha- an alcoholic, one hundred percent. And that's oh, yeah, where he really. So.
1: Why does he need a driver everywhere? Because he's drinking a bottle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. And he, you know, I mean, to me, it's really heartbreaking. Those scenes where he loses—I mean, that's really the only time he loses his composure is when he gets drunk. That's when he kind of lets himself be this person who's maybe a little bit more flawed than he would like everybody to see because he knows that he has to maintain this level of sophistication and composure at all times in order to be even accepted on the level that he is and so when he drinks he that's when he uh you know and and, and
1: and it's also how he deals but it's also how he deals with the life that he's living and how people view right. him and Everybody like has bottling something. up these feelings and emotions yeah. and being disconnected from his family and the loneliness It's just a combination of all of it
0: Yeah and that scene where he uh, he's at the motel and the you know it's the it's the all uh, I don't want to say colored that's the term they use in the movie but I know I'm, I'm not supposed to say that and I don't want to disrespect anybody. It's the all black motel and they want him to play because they're short a man. They're playing yeah. what are
1: they playing? Like horseshoes or some shit.
0: Sure. Yeah. And uh, he won't play. And his excuse is that like he's meeting up with someone, but he's like really not. And it Eventually me... he does. <laughs> Eventually, right. But um he, it makes me so sad that he doesn't just play, you know. I I wish he would spend time with them and learn more about other people's experiences because even though of course he knows what it's like to be African American in this country in 1962 he does come from a a place under the umbrella of of being disenfranchised he's a little bit more privileged than some of the other African American well most of the other African Americans in the country
1: yeah and And that's definitely like uh share like whatever was the current method of farming
0: that oh, was that. like
1: post-slavery mm-hmm. farming, and like they broke down on the side of the road.
0: And he's looking at them, yeah. And he's that. looking
1: at the people still working in the fields, and that's just not something that he's connected to, and not something that he wants to acknowledge. Which, but
0: he has to stand there, and he yeah. has to he has to stand there and watch it. Yeah, I, I think people are complaining about that scene like it's a little too on the nose, yeah. but, and I could see that, but I also. I think Mahershala is just so damn good that
1: Yeah, I I think they were over the it. top with some topics that people haven't really talked about yet. So I was fine with it being over the top because they were introducing some new dynamics that I haven't really seen in other films that are like this.
0: Right. And even though it wasn't literally slavery, what are they getting paid? Right? Yeah. Like it yeah. kind of is. You yeah, know? Like and mm.
1: this is why Doctor Shirley can kind of tune out of racial oppression because he's making a lot of money. And, like, it's not on his radar at all. And this is why Tony Lip resorts to being racist because he's stressed about his money and, like, feels an inferiority in his life that he can't support his family, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: I I mean, everyone's talking about the fried chicken scene, which obviously is so good. Should we
1: talk about the fried chicken scene? (laughs) It's great.
0: I mean, it's so funny. And I think that there are so many ways in which, like, Tony would probably let uh, Dr. Shirley into his world if he wanted to, like he'd let Dr. Shirley gamble with him, he'd let him, you know, he'd let him, you know, do whatever, but he's never going to do that kind of stuff, but one thing he will actually bend on a little bit is the poor diet, <laughs> Yeah. because <laughs> we all got to eat, and I'm not really going to comment on the whole like, you know, Tony saying like, hey, this is the food of your people, and you don't need you know, you don't have fried chicken and collard greens and all that stuff. I don't know what to make of that,
1: but... I, well, I think when it comes back later and they serve like a meal of fried chicken like at that event that he's at, I think that is really where you get the um, the payoff from the fried chicken scene. Like, I think the fried chicken scene alone is cheesy, but I think to show people how, oh, this is how racist view black people, mm-hmm. and it's the same way that this objective character the tony lip character is viewing him you know like Mm -hmm. it's just all of these generalizations about a people and it's like oh like white people in all parts of the country think that black people like fried chicken because that's just something that black cooks made that was Mm -hmm. really good and white people had never been exposed to it Mm -hmm. and it was like a southern tradition that was made out of like basically slave cooks and cooks who are being subjected to the kitchen but not respected in other parts of their lives. Mm-hmm. Which was... I, I think it was a cool device. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm a moron.
0: No, you're not. <laughs> I, guess, I
1: guess we'll see where the conversation goes. But
0: I think my favorite moment in the film is when Dr. Shirley does decide to come over for Christmas Eve dinner yes. and how he's welcomed. And again, they... they they put the comedy with the drama where you know they show that that cut to the family sitting there staring at the black man in the doorway like oh, okay there's there's a black person here now is everyone cool with that <laughs> and the way that you know all they really need is tony to kind of give them like you know when he's when they they make a comment about him and he goes hey don't call him that you know yeah. it's like oh okay this isn't cool like oh, like they trust tony and you know they know that tony's not going to bring someone into their household who is not Uh, a good person right so it's like they learn something too there and and just him finding the strength to connect with people and
1: and the incrementalism of like getting racist tendencies out of your family members it's Mm -hmm. not just gonna happen overnight it's gonna start with you being like hey don't say that and then kind of letting things go for a sec and being like, all right, they heard this one thing and they respected this one thing. Now, okay, what's the next thing that we right. can get our can family members a to little more. Do? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. All right. They stopped saying the N word. Cool. What can we move on to next? Like,
0: <laughs> I love the moment where the, where his Tony's wife and Dr. Shirley hug. I feel like I, they hugged twice. I remembered, and it just felt so genuine and heartfelt. And, it felt like they had already known each other somehow, and she indicates that he knew that he that that she knew that he had gotten some help. Her husband had gotten yeah. some help with those letters, and they just seem so sweet with each other right away. And it just yeah. is so heartwarming. And you just you're like, oh my gosh, now he's gonna have friends. And they they do have a a uh, a, a post well not post credits what am I thinking you know the the text on the screen at the end of the movie where they reveal that they remained friends until the end of their lives yeah
1: that was nice to know
0: of course it's oh, it's wonderful I I just really I love the movie I'll definitely watch it again and I'm gonna go see it with my dad and I'm sure he's gonna have so much to say about it so cool. maybe I'll update you guys
1: <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening we don't know what our next film is going mm. to be.
0: It's a mystery. Thank but you so maybe, much for listening.
1: Yeah, who knows what it is.
0: Send us feedback at podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And write us a review because we're on iTunes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so please recommend us. If you don't like us, uh, you know, email us. Don't write a review because we don't want this to ruin our lives.
1: Just because you don't understand us yet.
0: Yeah, you don't, you don't get it. <laughs> okay? <laughs> All right, guys.
1: Thanks, y'all. Have fun
0: at the movies.
1: Bye. This has been a Rhino Comedy production. Find us on Instagram at rhinos underscore r underscore funny. RhinoComedy.com Rhino Comedy on Facebook and live comedy every Friday and Saturday night at 96 Lafayette Ave in Suffern, New York.